And so, friends, we are called to fellowship. We are called to community. We are made for it. We are made for it. And I believe that deep down, deep down inside of all of us, we believe that. We fight it, but, but we believe that we are made for community. In fact, I would go as far as to say only when we are in healthy community will we truly flourish. The isolation only leads to misery, depression, and in some cases, death. And so if we are to flourish in community, then we need to take the advice of what the writer of Hebrews says in the opening lines of chapter 5. If we are to flourish, we must look carefully at what he says in verse 1 and 2. He tells us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. The writer orders us to strip away, to remove, to get rid of first all the weights, the hindrances, the interferences, the burdens, the distractions. He calls them weights. They strip away everything that bears us down. And then secondly, he, he addresses sin. He addresses sin, but let's unpack this for a moment with the weight. We have to get rid of all the weight that hindrances. Now it's important to note that not all hindrances or weights are sin. Alright, I just want to uh, make it clear to everyone. But however, in fact, the hindrance that you may have may not be a hindrance for someone else. What you may struggle with may look different for someone else. Else. What drags you down may not drag someone else down. So it's important to know that. But it's also important to know that we will never run wild without being rid of this world. We will never be able to move well in this Christian life unless we let go of some of its weights. We will never flourish in the community if we don't strip away of these things. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. That's the point that he's making when he talks about this weight. But let's talk about the sin. Alright? Because he addresses sin as well. The sin which clings so closely. Other translations take this way. The sin that so easily ensnares us. The sin that so easily entangles us. This is a fitting description of what sin actually does to us. It ensnares us, it entangles us. It, it, it's like the, the, the Sarah plant, right? That's the biological term. Uh, I think it is the Drosera plant. It's also known as the Sanju, right? It's, it's a little bit like that, the Sanju. Uh, and it's one of my favorite plants, which is a big thing for three of my camping person. Alright, but it's one of my favorite plants. And here's why uh, it's carnivorous. Alright, it's carnivorous. It's one of the, I mean, this is reason number 172 out of the camp. That there are plants out there that eat people. <laughs> and you might be saying, well, they don't eat people. Well, what does carnivorous mean? We'll talk about that some other time. I love them because they eat flies. Alright, for many insects that they eat, flies are on them. And I hate flies. Guys, I hate flies. I call them butterflies of hell. But they are not of God. Hate them. And so the, the sun juice, they, they, they devour them. But I use the sun juice as an illustration of what sin does to us. You see, the, the fly lands on one of its leaves to taste one of the grains that grow there. Instantly, three crimson Tips finger like hairs bend over and touch the fly's wings, holding it firm in a sticky grass. The fly struggles mightily to get free, but the more it struggles, the more hopelessly it is quartered with this adhesive. Soon the fly relaxes, but to its fly mind, things can only get worse, right? That's what it's thinking. It extends its tongue and begins to feast on the sun juice sweetness. 
while it is now beautiful plainly by the struggle of seeking sentiments. When the captain is entirely at the heart's mercy, the edges of the leaf fold inward, forming a closed fist. Two hours later, the flower is an empty sucked shower. And the hungry fists unfold its delectable mouth for another instant Folks, that's what sin does. It looks appetizing. It looks pleasing. It looks enjoyable. But it will not leave you satisfied. It will not fulfill you. Rather, it will leave you hopeless and empty. It's important to know that the sin which clings so closely refers to a specific sin. It refers to a specific sin, much like the, the weight, the distractions, that interference, the specific sin that you wrestle with, someone else may not wrestle with it. Forcing us to sit and go, okay, what is that for me? Instead of going, oh, yeah, 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 the sin for them. That's one of my favorite verses. Oh, I love it. It's the sin for them. Now, the writer of Hebrews wants to support for a moment. Listen, listen. I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you. The, the sin that you accepted is the one that wants to cling on to you. Like the sanctuary clings on to the cross. And so it takes, it takes only one sin. One moment. One hindrance. One distraction, one interference to sabotage the writer's soul. Just one. Just one. But, but let's be real for a moment. Can we be real for a moment? Can I talk openly with you? Permit me to, to come into your living room, your personal space. Permit me to, to put my feet on your coffee table. Let's get real for a moment. Because many of us have read this passage and we're like, yeah, yeah, true. But we never pause for a moment and ask ourselves, what, what exactly is that? What exactly is that? And so this morning I want to unpack, not all, because we've been here forever, but I want to unpack some, some sins and some, some weights that some of us probably struggle with. When I was preparing this past week and I was going through it, I was like, man, I struggle with should, should I even be up here giving you this word? I should be sitting there and have someone else come. But the Holy Spirit reminded me that not one of us listen to this. But none of us are perfect. Only if we would be honest with ourselves and with one another. Remember, we are pursuing, pursuing this reality that it's when we're in community that we flourish. And so I'm saying if we're going to do community well, there's some things we need to unpack. And so like many of us, and I, I heard now question today, many of us have uh, got to store things, right? I don't know if I'm supposed to say I'm a hoarder. But I wouldn't say that about me. But we like to store stuff. And so um, we like to store stuff in our hearts. And so this morning, I, I want to unpack some stuff, right? So I know many of us will have a box like this, maybe in the garage, or, uh, Somewhere in, in a room that you don't use uh, that much, maybe in a closet somewhere. We'll have a box like this, and we store a bunch of stuff. And, uh, and for, for many of us, we'll have boxes like this that we don't want people to touch. It's my personal box. Nobody's allowed to go in there. Nobody's allowed to look at it. Why? Because my issues are in there. So I'll show up to uh, environments like this, by the way, I've got a box stacked away in the corner of my heart, and no one's allowed to see it, but don't even think about talking to me about this. But this morning, as my feet are waking up on your coffee table, and I haven't even taken my shoes off, that's how comfortable I'm going to get this morning. All this time passing me, forcing us to look at it. Deep in our heart, we go, what are these things that are keeping me from running this race well? What are things that are keeping me from being in the community so that I might see God for two years and 
The first thing that happens is many of us wrestle with it. It's shame and guilt. Shame and guilt. Even for those who have crossed the line of faith, those who have given their lives to Jesus, we still wrestle with shame and guilt because we have this voice following us that if they only knew. Oh, you want to sit in front? If they only knew. You want to join the, the, the music team? If they only knew. You want to get plugged into community? If they knew about, about the, the, the struggles that you had before coming to Christ, your addiction to pornography, your addiction to food, your abuse, Maybe it's not the things that you did, but the things that were done to you. They're only you. So we need to unpack this, guys. And we need to get rid of it. We need to get rid of it. Like the writer of Hebrews says, because it will entangle us. Shame and guilt. But let's, let's talk about another one. Here's a big one. We're going to cancel this one for a while. Unforgiveness. It's a huge especially in our country. Unforgiveness. Let me say this. Un- unforgiveness, right? At the core of, of, of forgiveness. The core of forgiveness. It, it's not about the other person. For forgiveness to work, it's not about the other person, it's about you. Not now I know it takes two to, to work all of this, but it's important to know that it starts with you. You're truly going to forgive. It starts with you. And so we need to get rid of this. Many of us are holding on to anger and bitterness. We're holding on to anger and bitterness. And so when we choose not to forgive, we will never fully embrace all that that God has in store for us. We won't. We won't be able to embrace it all. And then we won't enjoy it for you. We won't enjoy it the way God has designed it to be enjoyed. Why? Because every time someone wants to love you or serve you, the whole time you're thinking, is this person going to do to me what that other person did to me? So it's a world of defense, don't I? Because we're holding on to unforgiveness. But let me share a few thoughts about unforgiveness that I, I found incredibly helpful and I think will be a blessing to you. Hear these quotes. Forgiving someone may cost you your pride, but not forgiving them will cost you your freedom. <laughs> To forgive is to set a prisoner free. Right? To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Holding on to anger and unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That person is living their life. They don't care what you're going through or what you're wrestling with. If you're sitting there just going, oh, how can they do it? Then I'm never going to do never, never let go of this. I'm angry. Filled with rage and bitterness. You're only killing yourself. You deny yourself to freedom. See, for the Christian, to forgive the inexcusable. And I know some of you guys are like, no, 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 no. We don't know what we're going to do. It's an excuse. I want you to know that those who have put a lot of faith for the Christians in the room to forgive the inexcusable is made possible because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Remember that. He's forgiven the inexcusable in you. And so we are called to forgive. I can't stress this enough. 
Unforgiveness robs us of the full life God intended for us. Rather than promoting justice, our unforgiveness grows into bitterness. Our unforgiveness grows into bitterness. I don't have to labor on this, I'll just put it up We're pursuing justice because many of us are unwilling to forgive. We're unwilling to forgive. In fact, the writer of Hebrews in the same chapter, a couple of verses later, he says, Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. To pursue peace with one another. Likewise, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 5 to 11, we're warned that unforgiveness can create an opening for our hearts and the to work in and be havoc. When we're unwilling to forgive, we're opening up to the devil to come in. And then all of a sudden, like, your life starts falling apart, but all the things get good. Why is this area of life falling apart? Well, because over here, you're unwilling to forgive. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying that. We need community to walk this journey with us so that we might seek peace with one another. It's hard, it's challenging, it's tough, but it's something that we can do. And to do so, we need to be aware of it so we don't pack it. Um, forgiveness. Yes, ma'am. Bad habits. Bad habits. Now, I know you might be looking at this like, oh, the bad habits of sin, they really sin. Most of them know. But they lead to sinful places. They're not a sin, but they lead to sinful places. And here's the thing about bad habits. Here's the thing. I don't recognize them in my own life. And when I do, I'm so quick to count them by going, oh, but that's just how I am. Right? Oh, that's just how God made me, guys. That's my personality. But if your friend is looking at me, it's honest with you. They'd be like, no. Stop it. Stop what you're doing. I mean, I know even right now, you're probably sitting next to someone, and they just like, okay, I we all have some bad habits. Staying up late when you're exhausted. That's a bad habit, guys. Because it only leads to some of your places. I've got a great, I stayed up, and now I'm in this weird place where I'm tired, but, but like I'm not ready to go to bed. So I don't know what to do in this great area. And let me just be honest, right? I'm not going to go, maybe I should pray. Maybe I should read the Bible. Now, I find myself doing dumb stuff. Sinful things that keep me from, from all that God has for me. We need to get rid of some bad habits. We also need to get rid of you guys that don't like the person. Unhealthy relationships. I told you, my feet are on the table. I came from a muddy place. Unhealthy relationships. Now, please make clear. Um, because we will take chances everywhere, especially with God's name. I'm not talking to those who are married. Because <laughs> I know some of you are sitting and like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to I'm not talking about it. We spent a, a whole series talking about marriage and divorce and when you can get divorced and when you shouldn't and what happens if you do get divorced. You can go listen. It's great. 
Like, man, I, I, I 
according to what God was acknowledging, God gave him the ability to know. I came up with this amazing concept and idea, but I was remembered that God who gave me the idea and concept. God is the creator, the sustainer of the things. And when we like this, does not make you think about walk, highly competent, highly educated, highly successful, please. Don't ever for a moment think you think of something. You want to pull an office on your own. You built this company on your own. You changed the educational landscape of this country on your own. You started this incredible NGO that's reaching the open on your own. You're dependent on God. But leave that dependency upon you. So you get rid of that. We, we, get, we get rid of this. We do not take a box and we change that. You get rid of it. We are passing the sins. Just be honest with yourself. Not today, maybe go home, sit there for a moment, just look at yourself. What do you see that I've been deep in my heart and I've got somewhere that says, Do not touch it, no one allowed to do it. If you have some issues, I have some issues. And if you want to flourish, you need to get rid of some of the sins. You need to get rid of it. But why? Why do we have this stuff? Why is it important? Why are we talking about this? So that we can run. And not just run. The writer of Hebrews doesn't just call us to run. He says that we need to run with endurance. So the text says that we need to run with endurance. There is a race set before us. For all those who are in Christ, for all those who call themselves Christian, there is a race that has been set before us. And thank you, the American Muslims. Oh, praise the Lord that it's American emotions. It takes time. This, this race takes time. It's what we call sanctification. But God is continually setting us apart, making us more and more like Him. Some of us forget that and become impatient, but others will grow. For some who just started the race, maybe you've been running for a while, and it's like, why, why are you still in this place? Forget that at one point in your life, you were in that place. Because you forgot that this is America. Doesn't mean don't run to stats or no, 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 not only is he the example, not only do we look to him as the example, but by grace he gives us tools so that we can run this race to the so that we might flourish in community. And there's tons of them, but I'm only going to give you three. Alright, there's tons of tools that I believe Jesus gives us, but I'm only going to give you three. The first tool that he gives us so that we might run in the journeys is the discipline of confession. The discipline of Confession. Any athlete will tell you that if you want to succeed in whatever sport you're in, you need to be disciplined. It's the same when we run this race. We need to be disciplined in our confession. See, confession is learning to tell the truth about where you are. That's what it is. It's to tell the truth about where you are. Just be honest about where you are. So I won't labor on this because basically we're going to unpack it. There for a while, but this is so important. And I know some of us will not learn about the best God and his ability, which is true. But I think it's value in James chapter 5, verse 16, where James writes that we confess to one another so that we might begin the process of Jesus. It's like God wired into our confession, that there's confessing to God that we've been forgiven, but then there's confessing to one another so that we can walk the straight to the hand. Begin our process of healing. Begin this thing of confession. We need to be honest about where we are. Let's be honest, we're all messed up. Alright, we may be We're all messed up. To confess. But the second tool that God gives us is what I call the shoes of grace. The shoes of grace. I think I would take calls of grace grace. 
grace, grace. And so I call it the shoes of grace. Because again, any athlete in any sport will tell you that if you're going to succeed, you need the right shoes. You're going to be a good runner, you need the right shoes. You're going to be a good crossfit, you need the right shoes. You're going to be a good cyclist, you need the right shoes. Grace, grace. The shoes don't come by themselves. It's not one shoe. You need a pair. And so it's grace, grace. Now I'm not saying it should be a double portion of grace. It's not a sufficient portion. What he gives you is sufficient for you. So why is grace grace? It's because it's grace for me and then grace for you. Grace for me and then grace for you. I receive grace or I might extend grace. Not ridiculous when someone's going to be going back in the country. You don't appreciate it. You also hurt yourself. It's grace for us. Grace for me and grace for you. And then forget. Instead of when we talk about forgiveness, when we give the grace to you, we give the grace to you. It's amazing easy for us to forgive you to people about this. It's the grace to have. So it's the discipline of confession, the shoes of grace, grace, and then the last thing I want to take us on with this. There's a team of accountability. A team of accountability. Let's look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, since they're surrounded by so many cloud of witnesses. So, who are the cloud of witnesses? And how is it that they surround us? Again, you ask. To understand this, we need to look at the previous chapter. As demonstrated by the word therefore, beginning in chapter 12. And here's an insight to say about the Whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask the question, what is the therefore therefore? Right? It's the rule And so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the rest of the Old Testament believers looked forward with faith to the coming of the Messiah. The author of Hebrews illustrates this beautifully in chapter 11. And then ends the chapter by telling us that the forefathers had faith to guide and direct him. But God had something better than that. Then we get into chapter 12, and we began this morning with the reference of these faithful men and women who paved the way for us. What the Old Testament believers looked forward to in faith, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, we look back and see the fulfillment of all the prophecies concerning these things coming. This is what binds us together, Jesus at the center. We are surrounded by the saints of the past and the new one. It's not the Faithful that we have gone before us are spectators. They're not up in heaven, uh, overlooking from the balcony at us running for this race. Rather, it's a figurative representation. And it means that we want to act as if they are watching us, cheering us on for the same victory. See, these are those whose past lives are faith. Encourage others to live that way too. Be faithful to the end. That cloud is referred to as great because it indicates the millions of believers who come before us, each bearing witness to the life of faith we now live. So it's a figurative illustration. But this figurative representation is made real here today. For those in Christ who are surrounded by a group of people who will encourage you to run this race with perseverance, with endurance, this group of people is called the church. This group of people is called the church. And dear friends, you and I need one another. We need the church. The local expression of God's universal plan. We need one another. And it's a weird thing for me to say because I am an introvert. I love to be alone. But I have come to a place in my Christian life where I'm like, need this vital. I will die without it. We need the church. You don't, you don't need fans. You don't need more fans. Only you have tons of fans. What fans? Fans are yes people. They're the yes people in the world. They're the people who are never saying anything that's going to hurt your feelings. The people that are never saying anything that's like, you know, I'm with you. Uh, don't sit that way. It's what the Bible Those are fans. Fans are just like, I'm here cheering you on. Even though you're running towards fire, I'm cheering you on. We don't need more fans. We need more family. We need more family. Why so that when you find yourself going to the rubbish dump to go pick up one of these issues that you've thrown away, when you find yourself going there to search for shame and guilt that makes you feel better, you want to go for unforgiveness, 
Then have a family relationship, fear and anxiety, pride and selfishness. Someone will say to you, hey, we you it. We it. And they'll motivate you well enough so that when you die, because you do that, right? Why are you hanging out with that girl? No, 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 I'm just trying to uh, get a textbook because I do a, a study and I do not like this. this. <laughs> they know you well enough that they know you last. They'll be able to pull you up and be like, well, give me back the rubbish of object. A married for those of you who are married, this, this person can't just be your spouse. This person can't just be your spouse. Like my portfolio manager likes to say, he's like this. He's diversified. That way folks sit on your spouse. He doesn't need to know some of your issues, but you need to open up to others. And then it's a good show one another to love your good deeds. Not rejecting the meat, the music together as someone in the habit of doing. But encourage one another, open one another to be very approaching. Many of us in the habit of not being together. It's not possible. We're talking about all the people on our streets. I recognize that we need one another to encourage one another all the more. All the more. It's a place of flourish in the Christian life is to keep your eyes on the altar and protect your offering. And to recognize that this provides the community for us so that we can run this race well. So that one way God will work with you as you enter into the heavenly places. Well done, good and faithful servants. You have run this race well. So it's given us community to do so. And so, I'll let you for our stories. Friends, do you believe that you are made for Do you believe that you are made for finishing? God has beautifully designed you for community. And then my second question is, do you believe that you are made for this finishing? It doesn't have to be this place. Come to me and be like, oh, I can feel like that. It doesn't hard. I can feel like it doesn't say, oh, I hope you find a better place. But what's important is that you are kept into a community. And so if you believe that you are made for the you believe that you are made for the salvation, for the salvation. My hope, my hope is that as a lot of the questions, we do this. As we navigate through the series, that God will be stirring your heart, passion only for His name, that will be touched tomorrow. Asking that you would spill our hearts and heart in the Maybe one of, those, one of those things that we unpacked this morning from the boss. It's something that's all not too tangible. And even as I heard it, I was, I was still going, I'm not willing to go. I'm not willing to get rid of it. Because maybe for a, a period of time, it's been my place of comfort. I'm joking out my eyes and showing me that his desire is to still kill and destroy it. It's to rob me of joy, the joy that only comes to you. It's to only serve you. To work in me. To remove shame and guilt, anger and bitterness. To allow my heart to take those steps towards you. When we are quiet, when we are still, when we are pursuing all these different things or keeping to a schedule, or a place of work, or a place of work, or a we are still before you. But we can cry out, so Lord, would you search our heart? Would you search our heart? Would you test me? My mom says one thing that's quite important. It's not a discipline for me, I just want to be a child. This is just something. Okay. Amen. Okay, now I'll say something. Let's just say what you're saying. How should you respond to this? Many ways. 
Only a few words of soldier misdiagnosis. The short end of the community. And to do so together, she spoke about community. She spoke about Christians and we got taken together. And we do this because the process of that is the ultimate victim of our country. So as we look at the entire portion of our passage this morning, what I'm going to do verse 2 says, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and seats at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice Jesus' attitude. Joy. The joy that was set before him. The normal painting of the cross, both physically and spiritually, why did he have any joy? To the, the joy that he had in the actions, glorifying the Father. The joy that he had was anchored in knowing that he was providing a way, providing a means of reconciliation for people to the Father. The joy that he had was anchored in the reality that he knew what he was doing on the cross was beginning the process of bringing complete shalom to the world. That's why we have joy. And so why do we want to take the meaning? Because glory lies the problem. Because it reminds us that we are a reconciled people. First, reconciled to God and then reconciled to one another. And lastly, it gives us hope. It gives us hope. But this is not how the story ends. Whatever brokenness you walk in with, that is not how the story ends. We have hope that Jesus will return one day and open the and break up the restoration. So that we might bless him in heaven. And so we want to take the to allow us to see it. And I'm going to pray briefly in a moment, and these will continue to turn back on us. I want you to ask your legs to go to the graduates of our table. There's nothing magical about those legs, the wine, the juice, or, or the bread, but it's what it points us to that is incredible. Jesus goes to the temple of our family. It's a far cry story that you want to share because you practice what you say. What that means. You don't have to be a regular table of this fellowship to partake. But you must be a Christian. You must have crossed the line of faith. So maybe you're walking out on the fence, walking in that crowd of life. I don't know about this, Jesus said. This might be an opportunity for you to let go of all these things that you're holding on to, all these things that you're holding on to, all these things that you're holding on to. I said, Jesus, would you come? Would you come this morning? So Lord, we come down, knowing that you have already prepared the way for us. And that we can partake of communion together because of the forgiveness that we receive from the cross. And we can look to the Father, boldly approach the throne of grace into Jesus. So let that be true for us this morning. Father, we love you for Jesus is my name. Thank you.